Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey everyone, Mike Wolf here. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. This is the first of what may be more Smart Home Shark Tanks. Or really, convince the analysts. That's what it, I called it originally. I like the, I, the term Smart Home Shark Tank. It's a little catchier, obviously. But this is actually uh, something that happened quite by chance. And what I do here in this episode is basically uh, a, a, an individual, Mason Lawler, who had an idea for a Smart Home startup that he wanted to get crowdfunded. He emailed me a few days ago, actually probably about a week or more ago, and pitched me the, me the idea and, and kind of wanted me to write about it, which is fine. That happens all the time. But because I've seen so many crowdfunding pitches, and I'm seeing more and more, particularly around the Smyrno space, um, I gave him some feedback, basically told him that you know, I think there's a few things that you, you probably need to change, a few things that I don't think are, are necessarily great, uh, and need to tweak for your business model uh, to, to really make this attractive Otherwise, I don't really see this as differentiated. And it came, became an email exchange where we had a few backs and forth and kind of a, a very uh, respectful, essential debate, essentially debate in, in email. I said, hey, why don't you come on the Smart Home Show and we will basically talk it through. And you could convince the analyst. You can convince me. I'll, I'll give you my feedback. And uh, Mason, being uh, the good guy that he is, just, uh, offered to do that. And so it, it really kind of was almost a mix between uh, Shark Tank uh, pitching an idea. Of course, on my Shark Tank, I'm not going to invest in your idea. I'll, I'll just give you feedback. So then maybe if you go on the real Shark Tank, uh, Mr. Wonderful won't eat you alive. Um, and so it was fun. And I gave him some feedback. And ultimately, I think Mason decided he needed to go back to the drawing board and, and he's going to uh, do some changes. Um, and in the current instantiation of his idea, he decided that it wasn't ready to go to market based on my feedback. So, hey uh, – my feedback actually helps sometimes, believe it or not. This is what I do for uh, for startups. Uh, this is what I do for big companies as well for my business, and I decided to do it in the podcast, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think you'll like this if you're in the world of a smart home. If, you, if you've kind of followed smart home uh, crowdfunding campaigns, you've probably seen quite a few succeed, seen some fail. And I think in the world of crowdfunding, I think um, a lot of these companies would benefit from people giving them honest feedback before they go out to market, and they get the brutal feedback of the market because once you let like i say in the show once you pop the cork it's out of the champagne bottle you're not putting it back in even if it's flat so uh mason waller is a good guy and i think he'll ultimately do something really successful or potentially do something really successful as a startup who knows if it's in smart home uh but i think he he he's a good guy for coming on the podcast he sounds a little dejected on the podcast once i listen to it again i think Maybe because I gave him the feedback, and I, I think he decided that maybe he wasn't ready for prime time. And I think I know how that could feel if you, you you're anticipating getting ready for something, and ultimately you, you decide that uh, someone tells you kind of the uh, in the cold hard light the cold hard light of day, maybe it's not what you thought it was. Uh, so I really appreciate Mason while we're coming on here, and uh, we'll keep to f- keep following what he does. And if he uh, does launch a crowdfunding campaign, I'll have him back on the show. 
Hey, if you like this, if you like more smart home shows, uh, if you want to listen to more smart home Shark Tank episodes, if I do more, and by the way, if you're a smart home startup, if you want to pitch your idea to me, uh, email me at thesmarthomeshow at gmail.com or go to technology.fm. Uh, there's forms there to contact me. Uh, I think it's this was a lot of fun to do this. I'll do more of those if people want to do it. Um, and uh, let's try it out. If you want to listen to more smart home shows, go to technology.fm. You can find the smart home show there. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, and I'm not on TuneIn yet, mainly because I've been too lazy to fill out the application. Uh, so I probably need to get us there. And a few other places. You can check us out on player.fm. And I'd also appreciate if you're listening to the show. Give us a, a nice little review on, on iTunes. Uh, that's kind of – I don't ask for money. I don't take sponsors on the show. Um, but the way you can maybe pay for it is uh, just give us a review on, on iTunes because that always helps. Once again, thanks everyone for listening. My name is Michael Wolf, and here is my first episode of Smart Home Shark Tank, a.k.a. Convince Analyst. This is the first maybe of more uh, Convince the Analyst segments, and, and I have with me Mason Lawler. Am I convincing? Am I am I saying that right, Mason? Yeah. And you are a guy who has a startup that is going out on Indiegogo called SmartKit, mm-hmm. and and we had an email exchange just for some for some context. You told me about your 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 pitch. You're going out on Indiegogo, and I had some feedback for you, and and you had uh, some things I wanted to just ask questions about. But I guess to start off, why don't you just give the pitch for what you're going out on Indiegogo with the the SmartKit, the first secure smart home? Tell me about it. Okay, so the original concept is, um, you know, I'll give a little bit of background info. I, I spent a few years as a technician for Vivint. I, I don't mention this really on the website or in my videos or anything, but um, I was a technician for Vivint, and I got to know the space through there. And after a year or so of working with them, I left the space and uh, got in graphic design and marketing. And, you know, I've kind of turned full circle and landed back to an original idea where I had where, you know, when I was, when I was a technician for Vivint, I started doing some market validation in the homes of my customers. And I, you know, here I am unpeeling sticky tape from a sensor and I'm like, Hey, could you do this yourself? You know? And they're like, yeah, of course I could. So I was like, you know what? I think, I think the do it yourself is going to become a big thing. So that that's what eventually led me to it. And I thought, you know, without all the overhead of paying all these technicians and door knockers and stuff, there could really be a company that, you know, basically cuts the cost in half from a company like Vivint and we wouldn't have to do contracts, but we could offer the same service. So that's really what led me to the idea. And um, so SmartKit is basically just, you know, it's a service that's over the cell network. So it does have a monthly fee. And I thought, you know, let's, let's have people pay a little bit up front for those who want to avoid contracts. And then we can, uh, just be a company off of our merits as opposed to locking people into things. Got it. And you purposefully don't use Wi-Fi because I think what I saw is you, you felt that was insecure. Talk about that. Well, you know, like, the reason that everyone uses the IP-based systems is because uh, it has no monthly fee, and that's that's a great upside. But on the other hand, uh, the cell-based systems are secure because, um, you know, when people started using cell backup, it was the backup to phone lines. And we all know that phone lines can 
be cut and you know the power goes out um phone lines still work but with with ip based systems they're vulnerable to the power and to cut cable lines so i mean there's also wireless hacking i'd say that's pretty uncommon but it's always a possibility as well but when you look at a lot of the home security systems that go in today a lot of them have cellular backhaul to the to the network operation center and the, and the call center so you you still see yourself as differentiated, and I think it's because you're slicing it this way. You say it's a a DIY smart home solution with cellular um, connectivity, so you can't cut the cable. Uh, but uh, but even though there are cellular based security systems out there, you're saying you're different because you are DIY. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you guys also have a, a fee that you're going to be associated with it, and so it's a DIY self install system. And there are other DIY self-install systems like SimpleSafe out there, mm-hmm. but you guys, um, like, like you said, is you said it, it's. I, I guess I'm just trying to understand how it's different from, for example, some of the other systems out there that use cellular backhaul to, to where they can't you can't cut the, the cord essentially. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's actually really similar to SimpleSafe. I remember when I first started talking about the idea, my parents were, a, I think, they're a listener to. A, couple radio shows that simply safe advertises on maybe dave ramsey or whatever but um they're like hey there's this one you should check out and so i checked it out and it's like well i mean it is it is different because uh theirs is just a security system whereas mine's a full home automation system and i mean other than that um of course all the major telecom companies and security companies offer the same thing it's just uh, they would go on a contract basis. So yours is no contract, but you still have to make it work. The customer has to, to pay monthly, unless they pay up front for like a, a bundle of time. Mm-hmm. But there's still a subscription fee. Yeah. And what are those subscription fees? Well, you know, our, our starting price is uh, $34.99, and it goes up from there. I think it's 46 for the energy package, which is – you know, appliances and um, lighting control and energy control as far as, like, thermostats. Um, and then the package after that is basically adding on door locks and uh, IP-based surveillance, which is, I think, 56. So, And so you are using, to, to do the home automation piece, what radio technology are you using? For the home automation, it's Z-Wave. Okay, so you're using Z-Wave for the local smart home. Yeah. And then for the security connection to the to the the monitoring system side, it's cellular. Yeah. And so I guess what you're trying to appeal to is people who want to install it themselves and they don't want contracts, but they're okay with paying a fee that's on par with what you might have to pay, like uh, someone who's using a Comcast Xfinity security system or something like that because it seems like it's it's similar to those types of rates. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Now, uh, I'm I'm curious to get your take on it to see. I mean, you know, when I first originally went into this idea, I was thinking, you know, this is going to be something that the mass market's going to like. And you know, when I when I build a business, I I follow this concept that you know, scratching your own itch. So I find something that's really important to me, and then. You know, I usually bank on the fact that a lot of people are going to find that just as important. And 
you know, when I originally came into this idea, I was thinking, you know, everyone hates contracts as much as I do because I'm the kind of guy that I'll avoid any type of debt at all costs. You know, I don't like, I remember having a first car loan and stuff like that. And, you know, I just, ever, ever since I was a little younger, I've always tried to avoid getting into loans because it, it always felt like it was more of a trap in some ways, you know, driving to work to pay off your car or you have a car so you can get to work. And that, so that was something that was really important to me. And, you know, as I'm getting into it, I'm, I'm kind of finding, you know, maybe, maybe everyone's not as a, doesn't have as much hatred towards contracts as I do. So I'm interested to see what your take on it is. Well, I think that people don't want to add another, uh, I guess, bill uh, to their, to their monthly fees. We're all getting kind of killed, uh, you know, death by a million slices. You know, I have, if I added it all up, the, the amount I paid to my cellular carrier, my my broadband provider, you know, all these different bills, it just adds up over time. So, I, I don't necessarily like to pay the monthly fee, and that's what I have more of a problem with than a contract. Um, I do think that you're right, and that some people don't want that commitment for two years. So, I think you're appealing to a segment of that population. I guess the biggest hurdle I think I find with with your offering is the the thirty to forty dollars a month that people have to pay, and then add on more for the home automation piece. Cause I think it's more the resistance to just paying more subscriptions. And I, I feel like that's the big appeal of DIY. When you talk about a DIY smart home, for example, um, the appeal is being able to do uh, and, and install something that you can install and then not have, not have to pay someone a monthly fee. And mm-hmm. what I see happening in the security space is sure. There's the Comcast and the, the those guys using eye control and Vivint, that are offering solutions that come in, you know, the thirty to forty dollars a month. But there's also what I would call um, a rising number of DIY home awareness solutions, and these are things that aren't as robust necessarily, but they're home awareness, and that they may be like some sort of security camera, and then you start to add around that some sort of sensors that will allow you to be notified via text message or something. Mm-hmm. And a good example is this, like the the Piper system or the the mm-hmm. Canary system. Those are what I would call home awareness solutions. And I, I think that's where you're, you're seeing um, drop cam potentially go. At least mm-hmm. that's set, definitely where they were going before they got by, got bought by Google slash nest and, and drop their tabs. Um, what they told me via tweet when I mentioned this is they're reevaluating their product roadmap. But I, I really think that they're going to go into some sort of broader home awareness that really taps into that. What I would call people who are more mobile and, mm-hmm. and possibly lower income that want some level of awareness of what's going on in their house, but they don't want to pay the, the, you know, the, the amount of money you'd have to pay to like Comcast and especially ADT. And yet they can understand whether or not there's someone at the door, if someone's in the house and some of these, like uh, for example, uh, simply cam, for example, mm-hmm. they, they're coming out with theirs. There's their network camera and they're calling it basically a home awareness slash security system. And they have facial awareness. They don't have facial recognition. They have facial awareness. So it tells you if someone's in your house besides your dog, essentially. So, huh. so I think that there's a lot of these, I guess, products coming to market that could be somewhat competitive to yours. To yours. I think the advantage that you have is obviously connection to a call center, mm-hmm. um, saying that you have some sort of monitoring. I think that brings a level of comfort. Certainly that the no contract and the self-install is, is I think an appeal. I think the only, 
again, my only critique is if, I, if this is like Shark Tank, and I'm saying yeah. you know we're going to find the resistance is mainly the subscription fee because I think I think that the fee is a little bit high for a DIY solution, and so mm-hmm. that's my main critique uh, based on what I know. So, do you think that uh, a lot of these DIYers are uh, put less emphasis on professional monitoring, or do you think it's something they want just as badly, but it's it's really not there? I think of like if I were to look at like the millennials, for example, if I were to mm-hmm. kind of break this down generationally, I think it's kind of a DIY type of generation, and they're really comfortable with like installing and managing their own technology. They like self monitoring. Yeah, I, I think I think self monitoring probably works for someone who's mm-hmm. twenty five, lives in an apartment, and that is good enough for them. Good enough mm-hmm. uh, to, to make them feel comfortable. So, but I think. You know, I, I use the term sometimes a gateway drug. I think DIY security and DIY home automation in general is like a potentially a gateway drug to like a more managed solution as they move upward up in like age and, and income. Now mm-hmm. that's still yet to be proven out, right? I, I think we're kind of at this – it'll be yet to be seen what happens with the millennials as they get older. But I, I would imagine some of them will grow into it. You know, it's interesting that that's got the – DIY connotation around it, you know, because lately I've been thinking, um, you know, for smart kid, I was thinking, let's, let's kind of drop the DIY thing. Let's, let's not come out and say, Hey, we're a do it yourself company because, you know, when you go to the store and it, it almost seems like from a marketing angle that would lead someone to believe that it's more difficult than it may actually be. Because when you buy your TV or your router or whatever, you don't, you don't buy it as a do-it-yourself router necessarily. It's not marketed from that angle. So I'm wondering if the the industry would eventually be able to drop the DIY connotation and just uh, make that the standard. Yeah, I mean, I think you almost have to take like uh, um, kind of like the, the approach of say, hey, this is something you could put in your house in five minutes and be secure. Like you don't necessarily use the term DIY or self-installable where it implies like you're turning screws. Because mm-hmm. I think that can scare some people off. But what you say is, um, it's almost like uh, it's like Geico, right? Five minutes, to, you know, fifteen minutes to save fifteen percent of your car insurance. Like fifteen mm-hmm. minutes, fit, you know, your security goes up, and so you kind of package it in a way where people think it's super simple. But you don't want to go away from self-install because I think that's your entire kind of your whole model is based on that, right? Not having to have like a guy roll a truck, and like when you were the guy at Vivint, you know, that was costing those people money because they had to pay for that somehow. So yeah. you're taking that See, cost out of the equation. <laughs> when I when I first got the job, I remember driving around. And I was in Southern California. I remember driving maybe up to LA from San Diego, and I was you know I was basically shadowing someone at first, and we'd spend most of our time driving. And I'm just like, how how am I getting paid for this? Like this doesn't really make sense to me. And then once I started doing on the math on it, it's like wow, like you know one technician for each major city in the U S and they don't need a whole lot of technicians. So, you know, they can afford to pay them for a lot of driving time. And yeah, it was the customers who were paying for all that. The customers pay for it. So I think, I think that's a a key part of your pitch. I wouldn't move away from that, but it's just how you package it. So, you know, and, and when you're especially on a Indiegogo type of campaign, you're appealing to people who are like the idea of self-installable stuff. They're early adopters. So that's who I think you're going out to originally or initially with your, your Kickstarter. Um, I certainly think over time, um, 
as you grow, assuming that you, you succeed and you, you get a company built off of this, you might have other solutions that might sell into the carrier channel. But I think initially that's, that's a key part of your value. See, you know, at this point, um, I, I got thinking about this and I, I never, I wanted to come into this, convince the analyst session with my guns blazing if I really had a good point. So what I did is I wrote a blog post and, you know, our, our original concept we were talking about was about Comcast. So, you know, I told you there's a large amount of people who hate Comcast. And I, I thought, you know, if I can get some people on board with this, I, I should be able to prove a pretty strong point. So I wrote this blog post about it and I basically compared our services. And I pointed out that, yeah, with my system, you're basically paying a $400 fee up front for the equipment so you can own it. And that's how you avoid the contract. And so I, I did a little bit of marketing on it, and I, I just knew that if I got enough people's eyes on it that, you know, me and you can talk back and forth about this all day, but it's really about what the customers think. So I put it to the test, and to be honest, it, uh, it fell massively short from what I originally was thinking, you know. I... I get on Reddit every day and I see how badly everybody hates Comcast. If there's a post that has the word Comcast in it, like it'll have thousands of upvotes typically. And so, you know, I think, I mean, a lot of the hatred is like, you know, you, you were, you probably were aware of the, the Ryan block call support where he tried to basically yeah. <laughs> cancel his Comcast subscription. And I never listened to it. But oh yeah. I just heard about it. Yeah. I listened to a little bit of it, but it, it went viral. And I think it even made an episode of this American life. Like that's how viral oh. it went. And, but yeah, I mean, we all, it, we all kind of hate the, the big brother kind of MSO, but at the same time, you know, and and I've been working at tech blogs for a while and, you know, there's a big kind of, kind of, I think, a bias towards like cutting the cord and going over the top and getting rid of the cable provider. But at the end of the day, these guys still have subscription numbers that are st- about the same and, and, and they're still – this overall pay TV subscriptions haven't dropped all that much. So I think yeah. – I guess there, there's this hatred of them, and it's for, probably for reasons like Brian Block Illustrated. It's hard to cut the cord or cancel them, um, and they're they're kind of hard to deal with sometimes. But I still feel like there's a lot of people out there willing to pay the subscription. And I, I think part of it is it's just there's some real value in bundle economics, the bundled mm-hmm. economics of like all the cable, uh, all the cable channels you get. Uh, the cable bill or the the broadband and the telephone for ninety nine to two hundred bucks a month is a lot of value. So. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Um, I think you're onto something. I wouldn't. I, I. I. don't. I don't necessarily think like going after Comcast is your main way to push your product mm-hmm. is the way to go. I think there's some potential here. I just think you need to tweak the message a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I was. I was basically hoping for thousands of hits, and I, I brought on a few hundred hits to the blog, and you know, I got some feedback on it, and mostly it was, you know, there there were some people that subscribed, and it was cool, but. Overall, I got the message that, um, you know, I, I assumed most people were probably like me, especially on these tech blogs and stuff, that they they hate the big dog and they hate uh, contracts. But, you know, truth be told, I'm, I'm starting to see the picture come together that SmartKit and its current concept would be more of a, you know, it would be more of like a, a renter's type thing, you know, 
it's not a mass market product because you are paying up front and you are paying a monthly fee on top of that and you avoid the contract so you have flexibility but you pay for it. I think that there's a big addressable market for people who want some level of security and home awareness um, that aren't currently in the ADT or, or the, even the Comcast security world. And I think you go after those. Um, but I think you really need to push the, um, the value on its own merits. And I think the biggest hurdle, like I said, is the upfront cost. Because if you're requiring people to pay that much upfront, I think um, that's a problem. Um, so mm-hmm. I, it sounds like you're kind of maybe thinking a little bit along those lines now. But I, I wouldn't give up on it. I just think you need to work on your pitch a little bit and think about the, the economics, the business model, how you, how you get your money over time. So when you go out to Indiegogo and assuming you're going to go, um, at least the way you had it, people were going to pay up front like four or $500. Mm-hmm. And then they would have access to a year and then they would have to pay like a subscription fee after that. Was that kind of the main Reward. No, it was it was basically four hundred dollars for the equipment, and then the monthly fee was separate from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like that's high. So mm-hmm. um, when you see like the the guys that went viral on on Indiegogo in the security space, it was a really low cost guys. A good example is Corner. Um, I had did a podcast with Steve um, from from Corner. He he was that the little door. Yeah, yeah, and that okay. I think why it was so viral, it, it had a real had a real hook to it, and that it was like ninety nine dollars. You know, security for everyone is democratized security, uh-huh. and I, you know, he started to have people writing writing him up because you can have people who are even like really low income households have some level of security. I feel like you wouldn't get that num that a level of, of press attention because there's no real differentiated hook. I mean, yeah. you're coming at it with you know security based on seller. That's interesting, but it's not super different. Mm-hmm. And then the price points are a little high. So, yeah, I mean, basically, right now I'm at a pivotal fork where I can say, you know, I can appeal this to a lot more people. I have, I have partnerships that I could easily work on getting contracts, you know, so that it's $99 and you get it in and, you know, you could be paying less than the other telecom companies, but, um, that's, that's really not why I'm doing this. So I'm, I'm just really evaluating things at the moment saying, you know, if, if I went that route and I, did do contracts as an option as well, then, you know, there's really no angle to my, to my business. It's just another security company. The good news is you reevaluate before you go out. I mean, I've seen people launch Indiegogo or crowdfunding campaigns and, and they, they realize after they launch it, that they had something that was kind of missing or, and it didn't hit the support level. So, cause I think once you let the cork out of the bottle, it's like the cork's out of the bottle. So mm-hmm. I think, it's it's good to kind of tweak it and think it through. Obviously, you've been developing technology and been developing a system. It's just, I think, getting the business model right and the economics right to appeal to enough people and, and go from there. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, SmartKit's concept right now, it's, it's really not – it was never my end goal. It was more of a means to an end because I, I have some big goals in the – home auto market that I'd, I'd like to see happen, but I, I think it'd be easier if I had customers paying and I had a business that was generating revenue to go out and start experimenting with our own products and stuff. So, you know, something that I'm really excited about right now, and I see myself pivoting toward this because I have a lot of excitement about it, would be, you know, 
it, it almost seems obvious to me right now that somebody that multiple people in the in the home auto space are saying why is there not you know basically a smart things but with a a cell backup and sure that's really pot that I'm sure smart things could even do that at the moment you know because they have an open API but um it, it seems like it seems like the market should be taking a shift to be doing a home auto product that's IP based with the cell backup so that you know it's basically free unless you use a certain amount of data but you it's still secure enough to have professional monitoring I think there's an there's an opening there um I think that you know I I wouldn't like rule out someone like like uh I control for example who bought Piper um, adding in monitor home security to that solution, for example, because mm-hmm. I, I think they're trying to think about, okay, this is like, as we bought it, a DIY solution, but there's a potential addressable market where we can offer some level of home monitoring, and then maybe there's a upgrade path for people who want to move beyond self-monitoring to, to professional monitoring. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I can see some of the companies thinking about it, but I haven't seen anyone really go out there and do a home automation product on the level of like a smart things. Mm-hmm. Certainly there's out, there's products like simply safe that are kind of pure security, but I haven't seen anyone go out there and do like a, a true DIY home automation with cellular backup. I mean, I may, there might be something slip in my mind, but I think there might be an opportunity there for, there for you. Do you think, uh, you know, do you think if that could be executed in the engineering department, do you think, uh, that would be a mass market product right there? I think you should have a freemium or kind of like a, a an entry point where people can get in with with no no cellular monitoring and then have a monitoring offering as an upgrade path. I think yeah. going in with with the cellular monitoring connected to call center just absolutely raises your cost out of yep. the gate, and I that's going to rule out a huge percentage of the audience. So you can kind of act that could be like your your freemium. Not I guess maybe a better there's probably a better term, but your freemium is like. Mm-hmm. DIY with with no back no call center monitoring and then an upgrade path with call center monitoring. That's what I would suggest. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing is that the current the current product where you're using a smart kid and all the other big security companies that do do cell based, um, it, it is kind of expensive because it requires a constant cell connection all month. So it's basically the same price as a cell phone. But you know, if you could if you could build a system that's IP based ninety nine point nine percent of the time, and then if power ever goes out, or if there's ever an emergency and the Wi Fi can't take care of it, then it just uses a little bit of data. You could, I think, easily have a a monthly plan that's five to ten dollars a month, somewhere in there. I mean, knowing a little bit about the M to M space just kind of speaking more broadly, I know that Mm -hmm. the cellular providers have definitely recognized the opportunity in the internet of things. And, you know, 12 to 24 months ago, they thought of every cellular connection as like a, on the same lines they think of like our smartphones, they should be charging 30 to $40 a month. But there are a lot of industrial level M2M type of solutions coming out that have cellular backhaul that it's much more cheaper than it used to be. So if this is something where, you know, you can have a cellular radio. I don't think it has to be super expensive. I, I think you can add in, at least from a, what it would cost for the monthly subscription fee. 
I think there are carriers out there who are looking to do deal with M2M companies and offer them bulk rates at a much lower cost than they were, like I said, just 12 to 24 months ago. Mm-hmm. Are you speaking for a, a system that's uh, you know, always on cellular backhaul or one that would use it as a backup? To well, I'll give you an example. I mean, there are there are companies like in, in Seattle, one's called Omni M2M that does basically – IOT, Internet of Things, monitoring of distributed assets. And this is getting out of the consumer space a little bit, but mm-hmm. most of their sensors that they put out in the field, if it's at a, a winery or if it's if it's in a it's in a truck, they're not paying $20, $30 a month for all those cellular radios to connect. They're paying much lower than that. And part of the issue, part of the reason is the, the data that's sent over those is pretty small. It's just like sending a signal saying things are okay. There's there's no red alert here. Um the, the the milk is still cold. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that isn't stressing the cellular network. And for those types of solutions, I think, particularly if you do it at scale, um, there are cellular carriers that will probably, if you want to design it in a product and you could promise this number of subscriptions, I think you could get bulk rates much lower than what you'd get for traditional cellular. Mm-hmm. You see, um, yeah, that's, that's another current issue with, uh, you know, if I wanted to bring down the price of the monthly cost for SmartKit, is that I'm not sure if you've heard about the whole Telguard, um, Alarm.com thing. Have you heard anything about that? Um, well, I know of the companies. What What about it? So basically, Alarm.com. You know, I'm not exactly sure how this went down, but I can predict that. You know. I know some guys at 2Gig, and they left. They're the ones who left Honeywell, basically. And they said, let's let's start our own company. And 2Gig was two guys in a garage. So they, uh, they started doing touchscreen panels before Honeywell started doing them. And so they, they teamed up with Alarm.com, and they basically had an exclusive, you know, because Alarm.com had these patents on 2Gig cell units. So... Alarm.com was expecting to always have the service for 2Gig. And I guess Telguard, from what I've read online, they basically, um, I can't say one way or the other, but supposedly there's a lawsuit going on that they ripped off some of these pens that Alarm.com had rights to. And so now you can basically get Alarm.com with Telguard. It's like the same thing, but I think it's a little bit cheaper. And, uh, you know, both, both these solutions are still, uh, you know, on the cost end, you're, you're still paying the, the alarm companies are still paying maybe 20 bucks a month to tell guard or alarm.com for these services. So it does keep the cost kind of high for these companies. And I think, uh, I think what you're talking about is, you know, if someone could, one of these companies could come in and really drop the cost down because I don't think the cell data has to cost that much. Yeah. And without regard to the patents and kind of like the intellectual property around that, I, my, my, my scenario is one completely independent of that. Now there might be patents that like alarm.com and swoop in and say, Hey, we, we own this. Um, we saw a lawsuit yesterday. I control suing a couple other companies because of their patents around smart home IP. Mm-hmm. So that that is something you have to look at, but I just know that in the in the industrial MTM space, 
not not in the consumer space, cellular rates have come down dramatically for remote monitoring of different sensors. I just don't know. It seems like in bulk those those rates particularly if you're not like using tons of data, which you don't necessarily need to use tons of data for a, like a, a monitoring solution. It's just really kind of making calls to the, to the center to kind of let everything, let, let them know everything's okay. They're not sending YouTube video. Mm. Um, it doesn't seem like it sh- should be $20 a month. Yeah. But Hey, I think that's, it's an interesting thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. What I do want to do before we uh, end our conversation, uh, this first episode of kind of convince the analyst is tell us a little bit about you. You came from Vivint. I think you're you're doing uh, your your startup as well, but you've been also uh, doing design. So, wh- what is your background? What, give us a little more on that. Yeah, so you know, I guess it is kind of an interesting story. I basically left Vivint when I was living in San Diego, and it, you know, I had an oceanside apartment. I had a nice company company SUV they'd supplied me with, and you know, it just occurred to me one day that I wasn't really happy doing that because. It took me a few months to really catch up to speed on how everything worked, and I I just stopped learning, and I really like learning. So, as of the time, I I thought, you know, I'm gonna I want to start doing graphic design or something that I was always interested in, and I want to be able to make money from my laptop and travel and not be tied down by a job. So, I gave up all that stuff to go move in with my parents and lived in their basement for a year. And, um, yeah, I actually founded a design agency, but a year after that we were up and running and doing websites and videos. And, uh, we acquired a investor in Austin. So I moved down to Austin in uh, October of last year. And yeah, we, uh, we basically just, bought our way up on AdWords and, you know, we had a little bit of our own little chunk of space down there where we just did some media and things went well. And basically, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Basically, uh, you know, things didn't work out with the investor. We, uh, I guess I don't want to get into it on the radio show, but, uh, I ended up resigning from the company and right now I'm legally battling to, try and get my company back and um meantime i just do freelance design and i'm just dibble dabbling and you know really figuring out exactly what direction i want to go because the only reason i originally went into design and doing an agency was because it was it was really good practice for starting my own companies and you know i instead of going to school or getting practice and in some ways, I was just like, hey, look, I can get paid while I'm practicing. And that's pretty much what I did. And you came up with the idea along the way to create your product because it sounds like it was perc- percolating in the back of your mind. And how far along have you gone in terms of like product design and, and such? Because I know a lot of crowdfunding campaigns go out there where it's more an idea than like an actual product. How much development have you done? So... I mean, I'm I'm totally cool with being transparent about this. I don't I don't make it obvious on my Indiegogo page or on my website, but we actually don't even do the product at SmartCave. I've teamed up with Two Gig, okay. and just specifically using their product because I used it when I was at Vivint, and that's a product that Vivint uses. 
And I made relationships with guys in the company there and the engineering team. And I realized that they've really got it down there. So I, I wanted to use their product. And, you know, down the road, I definitely want to get into uh, making our own products. But I'm more on the marketing design part of things, not so much on the engineering. So it was a lot easier for me to find something that was already developed. And, you know, it made things really easy because it wasn't, I wasn't saying here's a here's a product that we could conceptually have if I can get this funded. It's pretty much ready to go. I've got the the vendors and suppliers set up if I were to pull the trigger on the campaign. Really what you're becoming, I think, is you're you're creating a service provider corporation yep. in a exactly. sense. And and you have the hardware and quite honestly, a lot of these companies coming out are building around platforms that are basically largely done. So I don't think that's anything to to be ashamed of. I mean, if you look at um, even the, the the Wink platform is built around the Electric Kemp platform. If you look at um, the Peak Hub, it's basically built uh, around Eye Control's technology. So even some of these high profile startups that are coming out with their own smart home solutions are basically building, you know, on 90% of the job already done by other companies. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's a problem. Um, like I said, I think because you're a service provider, I would just give more thought to the model because that's mm -hmm. ultimately what you're, you're trying to be here. And yep. then once you get that fi figured out and something that would to appeal, appeal to a wide addressable market, then I think you could go with two gigs technology and, and hit a Kickstarter. I hope this cool. helps, man. Yeah. I mean, this has been cool. I thought, you know, I thought I was originally going to come on here and say, hey, look, I got <laughs> tons of people that hate Comcast and I'm ready to go with this, but that's that's not how it turned out. And I'm ready to pivot any moment I see the evidence. So um, I thought, you know, let's let's just use this as a, a free consult from Mike Wolf. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to talk to, talk to you. And, uh, you know, you gave me the pitch via email and I, I, I thought, hey, I'll just give you some feedback. And it turned into a back and forth and... I got a podcast out of it. So, Mason, cool. I appreciate you coming out and talking to me, man. No problem. I appreciate you having me on the show. And when you, it's been fun. When you figure it out and you're ready uh -huh. to go, I'll have you back on. Okay. We'll be in touch, Mike. All right, man. All right. Thanks. See ya. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that Shark Tank pitch that convinced the analyst episode. I felt a little bad for Mason because, again, I, I felt like listening to it again, he sounded a little dejected. Um, but again, I think we can all understand if, if you have an idea you're all excited about and people give you um, realistic feedback, sometimes you, you realize that maybe it wasn't quite what you thought it was. And so Mason, uh, being uh, the smart guy that he is, decides, hey, let's go back to the drawing board and I hope things turn out for him. I appreciate him coming on. And I thought this was a lot of fun. If you want to hear more of these, let me know if you have an idea for a smart home uh, startup or, or crowdfunding campaign. Feel free to pitch me. Email me at thesmarthomeshow at gmail.com. We could do more of these. Uh, and if you have an idea for uh, just a show or if you want to be a guest, you can email me as well and uh, we'll chat. Hey, like I said, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the show, go to technology.fm. You see a few options there under the Smart Home Show uh, for iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, you can also just go to iTunes and search Smart Home Show and you'll find us there. And I'd appreciate it as a way just to, to pay it forward for listening to the show instead of um, money or advertising. You know, I, I think just a review on iTunes would be very much appreciated. All right. Once again, thanks for listening. Uh, I'll be back next week. I have uh, getting back and doing some startup interviews and some company interviews again. It's been a few weeks since I've had one. I'm talking to the company behind or the people behind Wally Home, which is a really interesting smart home solution for moisture sensing. And I'll have that uh, produced and published next week. 
So uh, you can afford to that. Thanks again, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.